welcome to Artist Materialist, a discussion of that long read on the internet you didn't get around to reading. I'm Susanna, UX designer and artist. And I'm Dan, material scientist. And this week we are discussing an article from The Atlantic titled, How Skincare Became an At-Home Science Experiment. Written by and Julie Beck. This was an article that you found, and um, how did you come across this? Well, I, I read pretty much everything that shows up on the Atlantic website, which is probably excessive. Uh, and this one in particular, I've been seeing a number of different articles about face care, and this one was a pretty good in terms of summing everything up. So I thought that would make it a, a good one to discuss. Okay. Yeah, I, I was reading through this and I clicked on all the links, which I don't always do if I'm reading through something, but I felt like I had the time to read this article thoroughly. And there's definitely a lot of rabbit holes you can go through in this particular article. Um, some of the other articles that are similar and the blogs and all this stuff had similar, similar stuff on here. Yeah, this this wasn't that long or this wasn't that long a read if you just went linear, but if you include all the the twists and turns, it it, it has a lot to it. I will say it was interesting um, following the link about how micellar water works because that's something that I've kind of wondered. I wondered if it was one of those you know sort of snake oil things or just the latest fad or if it was actually something real or if it was just water that, you know, had a cool name. I've I've been a little skeptical of it, I admit, because I've seen how popular it's gotten over the last year. So it was interesting to see that there's actually a scientific reason why that stuff works and it, that it actually does work. And this is but, something, uh, this was a link to a lab muffin article from uh, Michelle Wong, who's the reddit subreddit uh moderator and I, I was very interested to click on that as well the micellular water um in in material science science there is a um what she talked about this critical micellular limit uh or concentration rather it really ends up being just soapy water but it's with a very precise amount of soap that's prepared a certain way so it is there's something to it, and at the same time, uh, there's it's really just it's just a very precise amount of soap. <laughs> yeah, it just makes it. I mean, it's sort of it's water that lets you clean your face by removing one step, basically, instead of putting the soap in your hand or on a washcloth and then adding water to it and putting it on your face. The soap and the water are already combined, so it's. <laughs> sort of uh, soapy water for the fast-paced life, I guess, modern life. And and also the other part of that is that um, it's it makes it so that it doesn't need any uh, salts, whereas normally, um, normally soap, you know, just like bar soap, has um, a bunch of, of salt in it. The, of, I didn't know, know that. Yeah, so it's, or sodium or whatever, and that's, when that falls off, it's part of sort of dissolving into it. Um, and that's why this micellar water is a little different is that it doesn't really need the, the counter ion in the same way. At least that's, I think that's the way it goes. Well, and it mentioned that in the um, lab muffin article that uh, 
that sometimes they use bits of oil in the micellar water to um, to kind of hold the uh, micelles together because they can. And um, the surfactant has, sometimes they put the uh, little drops of um, some kind of oil in there. And so that would explain why when I was in the drugstore the other day, all the micellar water was labeled as um, moisturizing. So I guess they put uh. can put moisturizers in it as well. Well, that, that kind of goes to something I was curious about because uh, you told me that you were a reader of this skin care addiction subreddit. Yes. And I'm, I'm curious what brought you to, to start reading that. Um, well, it started out because I was reading the makeup addiction um, subreddit because I, I like makeup and, you know, I've always been interested in seeing the cool things that people can do with it and different ways to apply it. And, um, frequently on makeup addiction, someone will mention, you know, I'm, what's the best, will ask, what's the best way to cover up acne? And um, somebody always refers them to skincare addiction because they will say, you know, well, here's what you can, here are the products you can use, the makeup you can use to cover up acne, but if you really want to improve your skin, go check out skincare addiction. And so finally, after all these recommendations, I thought, you know, with so many people mentioning this and saying how great it is, I should really go and check it out. So I started reading. And while a lot of it is acne focused, just because, you know, Reddit's audience does trend younger, <laughs> there's a lot of really good just general skincare advice in there too. And there's um, there's some stuff for people who are older like me. <laughs> I mean, I, everybody, you know, has occasional acne problems once you're past being a teenager, even if they're not as bad as they used to be. So it is helpful to see. Um, and also, um, I've kind of been keeping my eye on it for my kids because while they're not teenagers yet, I mean, they've got our genes and <laughs> I'm worried that they're going to need that advice. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on what works and what doesn't. And it actually has, um, reading the advice on skincare addiction has actually helped me change my skincare routine and get rid of some things that are unnecessary. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, one of the, the things that I came across that first, that one is one of the first things I saw as with all these different skincare uh, articles was um, the Jezebel staffers had a recurring segment where each one of them would talk about their skincare routine and the one that I really related to was some of the male staffers who sort of said that they, they just threw water on their face and that was about <laughs> it. Uh, I don't even, I don't even put soap on my face and that's goes all the way back to when I was dealing with acne in, in high school. And the, I remember the dermatologist saying, you know, don't put anything but water on your face and this benzoyl peroxide. That's salsa. interesting because I was going to ask you because I've never, I mean, I've seen dermatologists for other things, but I've never specifically seen a dermatologist for skincare like you did. So I was going to ask what kind of advice you'd gotten, well, what that course, experience was like. Yeah, and that was advice for a hormonal teenager. But the the main point, I think, was to not use soap on my face, you know, general soap and so I had, I, I think I initially tried using the salicylic acid because that's sort of the, the first step. 
and it didn't work that well. And then I went over to the a benzoyl peroxide that at the time needed refrigeration. Maybe they've gotten better at making it shelf stable, but that's what ultimately worked for me was not touching my face, only washing my face with water and benzoyl peroxide. And since then, I've just used water on my face. And for a while, I was using sunscreen when I actually had a lifestyle that involved the sun. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that medicine you were using that had to be refrigerated was actually just benzoyl peroxide. I mean, granted, it was probably, you know, a special pharmaceutical grade benzoyl peroxide, not just what you'd find in, you know, OxyClean on the, in the drugstore. But um, <laughs> I know well, now I see a lot of people talking about, you know, Accutane and all these special um, pills you take and injections and things. And so. Yeah, well, the, all the retinoids. Yes. Those, those I think were just, those were pretty new at the time. And also they were, I think they were figuring out the dosage. That was one of the interesting things that they, in the article that comments on is this question about how do you know what a good dosage is? And that's a really tough question. If you're trying to figure out something scientifically, experimenting on people, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, that was very interesting to see how little research is actually done on skincare. I, I guess I assumed that because, you know, the, the skincare companies, you know, you have Garnier and Olay and all these, and, and all L'Oreal and all the really huge companies that sell all this stuff, you would assume that they do a lot of research and they probably do, but it would be all proprietary. So we have no idea. Or do they, I mean, Presumably, they have to do some kind of research, right? I don't know. Well, I mean, it depends on the, there's there's kinds of research they they might be more inclined to do than others. They probably do a lot of research on you know which which version smells the best, and then when it comes to the more heavily regulated parts of the of the skincare, the where the as the article describes how drugs and cosmetics or is a lot of it is just the words that you use to describe the effects. They might just sort of say, okay, this is, this percentage was already found to be okay. We're not going to change it because then we might have to do all sorts of tests or regulatory compliance. So let's just stick with this percentage. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, some of it might just be done in focus groups as opposed to, as opposed to actual scientific studies and again we mm -hmm. don't know yeah and that is something that i have found um difficult is um going to you know looking in the drugstore and trying to find something that has a particular ingredient in it for example in skincare addiction um there was an article talking about you know different um formulations to reduce fine lines and somebody's uh, there was a general agreement that a combination of um retinoids, I mean, as opposed to retinol, because that's expensive and difficult, but the stuff you can buy over the counter, the retinoids, and then the, um, the AHA, um, or BHA to, mm -hmm. as a chemical exfoliant. And it was very difficult to find that at the drugstore because they all have, like they say here, all these names that are, you know, things like, you know, skin smoothing and, um, you know, all these other things, but they don't actually describe what the ingredients are. And I'd actually looked into the um, the ordinary uh, cosmetics that they mentioned at the bottom part of the uh, 
of the article because it does say exactly what is in it. If you are like, okay, I want to find something that has the AHA in it, the alpha hydroxy acid, you just look and find something that has AHA whatever percentage on it. It's much easier. Whereas the drugstore stuff, you can look forever and maybe not find it. And you just have to know that their code word for contains AHA is, you know, age renewing skin lifting cream or something weird like that. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a proc, I think it's a Procter and Gamble site. It might be one of, one of the large consumer goods companies, maybe 10 years ago, put up a website where they just tell you the list of ingredients in everything that they make. And I don't know if they, that would apply to cosmetics. And I'm, I'm guessing they don't tell you how much of everything is in there, but that was some sort of movement to be more open about uh, what's in their, you know, co combating chemphobia, which is a, a real issue with all sorts of things. So people just, you know, oh no, it has water in it, or oh no, it has chemicals. As if That's that actually, yeah, something that um, I ran into a lot when I was um, pregnant for the first time. Um, I went pretty far down the uh, natural mother um, rabbit hole, and mm -hmm. there was a lot of stuff about um, cosmetics in particular, um, because in the U.S., the um, rules about what substances can be put into cosmetics are a lot laxer than in the EU, for example. And right. so um, there was there were a lot of websites saying, well, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't use um, cosmetics containing such and such substances. And obviously, I, I can't remember what they were. They were probably like certain plastics that had hormonal effects or things like that. I, I really honestly can't remember what they were. Um, so I went to websites that listed, you know, the safe cosmetics, the ones that were they were mostly, you know, obscure organic brands, some things like Burt's Bees and stuff like that, or EU brands, mm -hmm. a lot of the British brands, because they had to meet EU standards, didn't have some of the stuff in them. And it was, it was interesting to see what the dichotomy was between the brands that actually had the, you know, the tighter regulated ingredients and then the brands that advertise themselves as being more natural. Like, for example, uh -huh. um, Neutrogena was one of the brands, and I still remember this, that had some of the worst <laughs> um, ingredients according to things that might be bad for a pregnant woman. Now, I don't want anyone to take this as advice for me. Look it up yourself. This was something from, you know, like 10 years ago. <laughs> but... Um, and, and they always marketed themselves as, you know, natural and healthy. And then another brand, and what is it? It's not Wet n' Wild, but it's, I wish I could remember what it was. It's the one that they had Kate Moss advertising for, but it's one of the really cheap drugstore brands, but it's a UK mm -hmm. brand. And their stuff is actually mostly okay. And you would look at it at their, and it would, you would think, you know, this is like, you know, cheap stuff for junior high girls, but it actually has higher quality ingredients than some of the stuff that's marketed as all natural. Yeah, that's that's one way to cut down the cost is to use the most generically effective things. And even if they're more expensive, if you didn't 
have to put much thought into formulating it, then it can end up being a cheaper product. Uh, and one of the things that, I, I, that makes me think of is is this idea that one reason why certain products might seem, you know, they might get up, put on the, oh, we don't know about this list is because they use better known ingredients. Whereas the, oh, we found this new, very natural thing. We extracted it from some seed and nobody's bothered to look and see if it causes cancer or makes you grow a third limb. Be just because it's it's lesser known, like it can fly under the radar. This uh, it's a a constant problem in in chemicals in general. That's interesting. That's not something I'd actually thought about. A few weeks ago, I was looking at trying to figure out whether um, it was a nonstick aluminum foil that you can now buy, and I was trying to figure out whether it had what what kind of process they were using to make it do that if that might be a, a health issue and so i just looked it up on the web and one of the first links i found was saying oh no this has this is full of of um ptfe which is definitely not a any fluorocarbon is is not a good thing to have um in stuff that touches your food it's like oh it has the fluorocarbons because it contains polymer and say well, that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of polymers that have no fluorocarbons in them. So it's one of those things where uh, a little bit a... of knowledge is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of knowledge is dangerous, exactly. Yeah, I actually I use the nonstick aluminum foil occasionally. Um, it's, it's awesome for making brownies. <laughs> uh -huh. All right, well. so we are probably reaching the end here of our discussion. What else is there to say about skincare in this article in particular? I mean, I could go on forever probably. The, um, oh, I did have one question for you. That was um, where Michelle Wong, the uh, lab muffin person, lab muffin blogger, she talks um, toward the bottom about, uh, she says, the problem with experimenting with skincare is that you only have one face, so it's like an N equals one trial. What does that mean, Mr. Scientist? Well, it, it just means that anytime you do an experiment on yourself, that's that ends up being an anecdote. It's that whole anecdote versus data um, distinction. Okay. So if so, if you have one person's experience, that's an anecdote, and it doesn't follow that if you have a lot of people's experience that is data because that it hasn't all been collected in a single study. You know, everybody's doing their own thing. There's no standardization. So anything that you get out of that, there's too many variables going on. You can make scientific observations, but you can't call it a, a real, you know, following the scientific method of here's the hypothesis and we, you know, half the people tried this skincare routine and half the people tried that skincare routine. We made sure that there were similar you know, genders and ages and all of that sort of thing. And you can okay, kind of try. That makes can, sense. Yeah. You can kind of try to just put products on one side of your face and on the other side of your face and do that for several days if you're willing to look a little bit lopsided. But <laughs> I think we've, I, I remember seeing some you know, magazine beauty articles in the past where they did that, you know, they put the, the 
age-defying cream on just one side of a woman's face, and then she ends up looking really strange. I don't right. think most people are quite willing to go that far. Well, I, I think that um, the sort of the instant effect, certainly there's the, the hyaluronic acid, which is something that I've studied a little bit in the past as it relates to how our knees work, but that it, the sort of the new wonder humectant or thing that plumps you up that's and that's that's something that i would that's something i definitely believe would make sense that it um because normally in our bodies it it is found wherever you find collagen it's found in other places but plays well with collagen so the idea that if you have hyaluronic acid um that it could make you make your collagen sort of plump up that makes a lot of sense although i also wonder how how big the acid the hyaluronic acid molecules they're talking about are because it's sort of like a the difference between a sugar and a, and a complex carbohydrate you know how how big the molecule is that's interesting i did not think specifically about the size of the molecules i know that i generally just sort of you know think about them being the substance being in there but i guess that would make a difference and also, it's interesting to think about knees as yeah, they, they do have collagen, you know, that, that makes perfect sense. But you don't usually think of knees and faces, you know, having that much in common. But, yeah, they definitely both have collagen. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit like Minecraft people ourselves. We're different <laughs> bits all in the same thing. Minecraft people don't really have knees, though. <laughs> <They just have>. <laughs> <laughs> And one thing I wanted to ask about is is whether you've tried any of these face mask things that that's sort of go, been going around, and I'm, it seems to be the the obsession, which the article kind of goes a, a not straight at, which is one reason that it stands out. Yes, actually, I have, and as a matter of fact, there is a um, a beauty and uh, fashion. Uh, forum that I was a member of, I've been a member of since 2002, um, called Looking Good. Um, shout out to my fellow lemmings. And um, one of the products that we all agreed was really good was something called the Queen Helene Mud Mask, Mint Julep Mud Mask. And because everybody, all the other, um, all the other ladies on Looking Good raved about it, um, I felt like I had to try it out and it's this it smells really nice it's this green mint smelling mud mask stuff and you put it on your face and let it dry and then wash it off and it's you know sort of an exfoliant and um it, it does you know make your skin feel really nice and clean and um exfoliated so I've been using that off and on for a long time and um I've also tried some of the other masks I had a birch box subscription for a little while and that came with um, masks sometimes. And so I've, I've used those. And I've even tried some of the at-home um, masks. One time some friends and I got together to try out a bunch of these and we got out the blender and <laughs> mixed up a bunch of random um, food stuff and smeared it on our faces. Somewhere I think I might even still have pictures of that. And it was fun um, you know, and kind of hilarious, but I don't know that it did a whole lot for our faces. Um, I well, think was... I would rather eat the yogurt and oatmeal than smear it on my <laughs> face, personally. <laughs> well, that was that, that was one more thing that that I thought was really interesting in the um, 
one of the links, I, it might have been, again, Lab Muffin, about the chemical exfoliants is that you look at the, what, what ingredients they're talking about and suddenly it makes a lot more sense why through the ages there would be a milk mask if lactic acid works as a chemical exfoliant. That you can say, oh, yeah, yes. you could have some sort of milk mask and that could actually do something. That and lemon juice, which is the, um, the oh, scourge of skincare addiction. <laughs> they're all saying, no, don't put more juice on your face. But there are all these Pinterest um, DIY things saying, oh, yes, put lemon juice and salt on your face, which is, you know, really a great way to tear your skin up. It's not a good idea. Right. There's, uh, you can, you can uh, Google um, uh, chemical sunburns from about, uh, about uh, bartenders there's some pretty horrific stories of people who go to you know, they get a gig outside making margaritas and at the end of the day the, the sun hits them and then they just get horrible second degree burns because of the interaction with the lemon juice and lime juice and the sun wow so. that is not something i would have thought could be such a problem, but it's very interesting to think about. Um, and that brings up one thing that we haven't mentioned, which is sunscreen. And I noticed they mentioned that in here too. And that's, I think, really probably the most important skincare advice you could give someone would be to wear sunscreen. I know that's the one thing that I would credit with my skin looking, still looking decent um, after all these years is, mm -hmm. is wearing sunscreen almost every day. And it's pretty simple. I mean, there's yeah. a zillion kinds of sunscreen out there, but and and it seems like the with with every everything else that gets discussed about skincare, the 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 best sunscreen is the one that you're willing to put on your face and to not worry too much about it. Because <laughs> people yeah. have been wearing sunscreen <laughs> a long time and they manage to not fall over dead, so it's probably okay. <laughs> well, All thank right. you for listening to the podcast. Um, we will be back next week talking about a different long read. And did you want to mention, just before we go, um, something that, um, since this was a nonfiction article, something interesting in fiction that you are reading right now? Well, I, I don't get much time for, for, or I don't get around to reading much fiction, but I am about halfway through my binge watch of the new Jessica Jones series. Oh, I can't wait to start watching that. Yes. <laughs> and That's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and I'm enjoying that. I think it's my favorite of the Defenders series, if only because um, they speak with full voices in the daylight often enough so that when I'm watching it later in the evening, I, I can hear that, what they're saying <laughs> and, and don't fall asleep watching it. So it's, um, I'm enjoying that one. Oh, good. Right now I am reading... Um, the Glass Sword, which is the second book in the young adult series, um, The Red Queen. So it is a post-apocalyptic young adult fantasy book, which is every now and then a, a really nice escape from reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You... All right. I guess that's it. That's it. You can find us okay. at uh, anchor.fm slash artist materialist.